And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Back of the Presser podcast. It has been, I want to say, probably two years since we last posted. It's back to the presser. I'm your host, Keith DeMolder. On the podcast today, it is the the San Diego locals, folks. Connor Hines and Nick Beach. Uh, post-grad for Beach, which is a, a new development. Connor, though, still in school, still going to the Zoom classes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, for another couple weeks at least. Finals finals begin, uh, let's see, my first exam is on Wednesday, so we've got a couple more weeks, but I- I'm so over online class. It's so hard to stay focused, especially when the weather's nice. It's like, can I just not right now? But it's you're only logging in for a couple couple hours a day, and I mean, I don't know. Not, not much else has changed. It's just harder to stay focused and stay locked in, I guess. Yeah. Fair it in. Fair, uh, fair enough, shall I say. Um, and then Nick Beach has just been chilling out at his home, Max and relaxing all cool. <laughs> yeah, you said post-grad, which is a new development. It's funny because we recorded a podcast after I graduated college like nine or ten months ago that never got posted. Which is, I was like, oh, new development. I was oh, like, have yeah, we not okay, like, addressed this? But we have, but nobody ever heard it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, that was the uh, the pod, the pod pod, if I'm not mistaken, the Padres pod, which unfortunately, yeah, never got posted. So we yeah, we it. accidentally recorded for like two hours, wow. and then you left <laughs> town, and me and Connor didn't see you, and then I texted you like a week later, like, "Yo, where's it at?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I will." And then it was like would, three months later, I was like, "Oh, Keith's never posting this." <laughs> would you believe? Would you believe me if I told you that uh, Keith and I have also done podcasts that have never been posted? I think I might. Oh yeah, no. That, well, that was that was not even a great pod, honestly. That was just like us trying to pod, and then we both were distracted and just didn't work. <laughs> it, we were trying Fair. to we were trying to do one for the uh, the Garbage Chronicles podcast, but Connor is just uh, not willing to share the intimate details of his personal life, which is fine. I shared intimate details of my personal life. Yeah, Connor. Nick went Nick went pretty uh, pretty in depth there, and Connor's like, oh, I, have- I don't want to say anything. Well, let's relax. I still haven't listened to that one, though. I'm going to have to go back and give that one a, a listen. You should. Oh, Keith, what? The one, Keith, you the, should talk about how that, that girl, like, low-key gassed us up today. I don't know if you need to, like, directly quote her, but you should talk about that because that's funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, one of our fellow reporters here in El Paso, her name is uh, Mills. Is this okay? Are you exposing her yeah, right now? Or you no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Uh yeah, her name is Mills Hayes, our, one of our news reporters. Uh, I will not say which station uh, to give conf- confidentiality. But, um, First and last name. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. My bad. But uh, either way, um, so she, she responded to my Instagram story because I posted it on the IG. And she's like, oh, um, I'm listening to the, the body positivity one right now. And I said, oh, like, what'd you think of it? And she said, I'm, I'm listening to the one with Nick Beach. And she said, to be honest, surprisingly, you guys are so well-spoken for 20-year-old guys. Haha, uh, <laughs> I was expecting beer pong and other stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. So I, I was like... I responded to Keith when Keith sent me the screenshot. I was like, beer pong? I was like, I was like, we graduated college. And like, I don't think we'd be like, <laughs> speaking about like relationships and dating on a podcast. We were just like ass. It. I don't know. We're drinking <laughs> gin and tonics <laughs> now, guys. Yeah, the, just like I just like the pod is just like us talking about like how we just like get trashed and like I don't know, try to get girls <laughs> trashed and like pick them. Just like, dude, no one's doing that. You can't like do that. <laughs> yeah, not so much. But it's not like call her day. daddy dudes edition or something. No free ads. Huh? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, so uh, today we're talking on the pod. We're talking about uh, everything NFL draft related. I mean, I think that's kind of been like the only thing you can talk about sports related recently. Uh, the NFL draft just wrapped up yesterday. We're recording this podcast on a Sunday evening, um, and we'll talk NFL offseason kind of predictions for this fall. If we even have an NFL season, which I think we will, given this whole coronavirus, but I don't know. I'm not sure. So. First, uh, Nick, we'll start with you, a big Eagles fan, a uh, in his, probably in his words, unfortunate Eagles fan for having to root for such a uh, interesting franchise the past couple of years, but what was your takeaways from the NFL draft? My Eagles takeaways or my takeaways as a whole? Let's do Eagles first and then we'll go broad. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, in brief, the Eagles draft, obviously uh, a lot of people freaking out about their decision to draft quarterback Jalen Hurts in the second round. And um, I was actually pretty pleased with it. I was actually having a discussion with my grandpa earlier in the day of round two. I was like, would you want to draft Jalen Hurts to be our backup? He's like, yeah. I was like, I would too. I was like, we need a good backup. I'm, he's like, I was tripping last year like when we had McCown and Sudfeld. We need a good backup again. And so like we were stoked about it because we know like we have a quarterback that's been injured in big games several times. And it's just like, I don't know. We value uh, backup quarterback highly. And I know like obviously we had needs and that's a little early to take a backup, whatever. And that's all true. But um Eagles fans will always find a way to freak out, and I mean, maybe their first-round pick didn't align with the consensus, but uh, I don't know. I think Jalen Rager looks like an exciting player, and maybe he'll be awesome, maybe he won't. I, I've kind of learned in the last year or two to just wait till I watch the players play games before I like judge the pick. I mean, obviously some picks are obvious reaches, but I think like they didn't really make any picks like that, so I had like no major reason to freak out. And whether or not any of them turn into anything, from the start of the weekend to the end of the weekend, the Eagles have four new wide receivers, and all of them have speed. And that's obviously was the biggest need for the team. So it could be a lot worse. Philadelphia fans just like love to freak out, and honestly, it just makes it that yeah. much more fun for me. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing too. Like with with every pick of the draft, you're especially in a time like this where the NFL draft is literally the only thing we have to hold on to. Every pick, every reaction to every pick is going to be an overreaction, and it's not fair to it's not fair to you know make any assumptions until you see guys on the field. The Vikings are one of the exceptions. I mean, I think they had like something like fifteen or sixteen picks in this draft, and I mean, you know, the way they went about that, I, I've heard a lot of you know criticism about the way the Vikings. You, you're not going to have all those guys on your roster uh, by the end of training camp, by the end of OTAs, but. I mean, you you have to be, I mean, somewhat measured because I mean, like you said, you you don't know who's gonna pan out. I thought, I thought Jalen Hurts. To be honest with you, I didn't even know. I I kind of forgot about Jalen Hurts. Like, was he in the draft? Like, was that kind of disrespectful for not only him to stay on the board that long, but then for the Eagles to draft him after? I mean, yes, you always need a good backup. Shout out Nate Sudfeld, Indiana Hoosier, but, but <laughs> still on the team. But I mean. You know what I'm saying, though? Like, they, they locked up Carson Wentz, and for Jalen Hurts, Hurts to be left on the board, I know he's younger and whatnot, but I, I honestly did not even know Jalen Hurts was a part of this draft this year until he got picked. Well, no, I, I think... Like, go, let me go, Keith. I, I think he just, like, for the most part, was being considered a second or third round pick, and then kind of in the maybe, like, four or five days leading up to the draft, his stock started rising because they started... Teams started realizing they're... Is it wasn't like a high number of good quarterbacks in this draft, and maybe he had like the next best chance. Obviously, he was like Heisman Trophy runner up, and he he isn't necessarily seen to be like 
have like all the stud NFL tools because he's like a little bit undersized, doesn't have like an amazing arm. But obviously he's fast. He's a good runner. He made a lot of plays in college. And then people kind of started comparing him to Dak Prescott, who like got taken in the first right. round I saw. And they like kind of had similar profiles coming out. And I think he like rose up some boards. And um, I don't know. Yeah, I heard like some yeah. Patriots interest in him and stuff. And I think the Eagles just like – they took him. And the rumor is they um, – you know, they want to groom him into a starting cal- caliber quarterback and eventually trade him is what I'm kind of figuring. But uh, – and I- and I, I mean, that's that's also the point behind, like, drafting quarterbacks like that in the second, third rounds and so on. I mean, like, the Jordan Love pick for, for the Packers, sure, that was a surprise to a lot of people. But, you know, these guys aren't going to be playing or starting for three or four years anyway. So, you know, they have time to groom them. And I think that's definitely the logic with Jalen Hurts. I, w- I was just kind of surprised by it, but I think... I think he'll be in Philadelphia for a while, at least, and I, I I like it. I like it a lot. The question I wonder is is I mean, for you, be, like, how much, how, like, what is the percentage that he even sees the field? In your opinion, like, is it just relying on Carson Wentz? Like, is Wentz just gonna get injured again, or or do you actually see, you know, a potential for Hertz maybe to get the starting job in t- 2020? Yeah. Oh, there's no way he's getting the starting job. They pay Carson Wentz 35 million dollars a year. But um, Jalen Hurts, I mean, imagine, like, they've already said they want to, you know, use him as a Taysom Hill type where he's going to be getting snaps. Like, he's going to be running the ball. He'll throw a ball here and there. Maybe he'll even line up at receiver or something like that, play special teams. I don't know if it'll go that far, but that's the hope. But I think percentage chance he sees the field, I'd put it at between 20 and 40 because, I don't know, like, in all my years of following the Eagles, obviously I'm, I'm almost 23 years old. Like, in all my years of following the Eagles, I think there's been two seasons – where a quarterback has played 16 games. And that was Carson Wentz in 2016 and Carson Wentz in 2019. And obviously Carson Wentz got injured in the playoff game last year, and he's been injured in an important game in December or January the last three years now. So I think like high chance that he actually sees the field. And I think the the good thing about Hurts, where it's just like we had to watch Josh McCown, 40-year-old Josh McCown come in last year and play in a playoff game when Hurts comes in, like, I'm going to be feeling confident. I'm going to feel like this guy can make plays. Like, this guy can go win a game for us, you know? I think Eagles fans should know better than most fans how valuable a backup quarterback is because, obviously, they've seen him have to play in the biggest moments. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I think that some teams just have the luxury of uh, just, like, their quarterbacks always played every game. Like, you know, like, guys like Phillip Rivers has stayed super healthy and, you know, Tom Brady stayed super healthy over his career and... I don't know, like, even some other guys have stayed pretty healthy, like, you know, Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson, whoever. Like, um, but the Eagles quarterbacks just, like, haven't done that. And I don't know. Eagles fans just, like, I think they were just, like, upset about the Jalen Rager pick instead of Justin Jefferson. So they just, like, found a new way to complain that, like, we didn't take another wide receiver. There was no other player on the board uh, that I loved at number 53 anyways. So I was pretty pleased with the Hurts pick. But if there were four or five guys where I was, like, we need him. Like we could use this guy at this position. I maybe would have been a little upset, but I feel good about it. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, obviously, like there were some other guys, you know, debatable on the second round pick. I mean, I feel like anybody can make an argument for a second round pick. Um, but do you feel like getting him, or not even just getting Jalen Hurts, because I feel like Jalen Hurts, like Connor mentioned, was pretty slept on going into the draft, and the guy. I mean, led Oklahoma all year. He was super dynamite and, you know, kind of like a Johnny Menzel type, just a offensive force, um, maybe a little bit better than Johnny football. But, like, do you think they took him too high? Do you feel like 
going with a second round quarterback was a little bit of a reach. Maybe they should have waited till like the fourth or you know fifth round or something and have a guy that would develop behind Wentz. No, I don't think it was a reach. No, I think that he would have been gone within the next twenty or so picks, anyways. And then, then you're just walking back into territory of the Nate Sudfeld and the Clayton Thorson types, where it's just like they're going to be there, they're going to be on the roster, and then everybody, you know, like the co- coaches and front office members in the media are going to say, "Oh, we really believe in this guy," when they don't really believe in this guy. Where it's like with Hertz, they actually are going to believe in him, which I think is a good thing. Like, I think there's a difference between like investing in a backup quarterback and investing in a backup quarterback that you actually think can win you games. That's so accurate. I mean, that's the difference between Nate Sudfeld and Jalen Hurts. Yeah, exactly. And Nate Sudfeld's on the team, and Doug Peterson gave his little speech to the media the other day saying that we love Nate, we believe great things in Nate, and it's like, well, if you really thought that, you'd probably be okay with him being a number two quarterback, but I mean, he's not going to be, so... Right, right. T- taking a look at these other picks uh, for Philly, I just want to touch on before we move on to some other teams. But uh, of these wide receivers, obviously, you know, their their first uh, first round pick, you know, out of TCU was good. Uh, but you know, I don't want to mispronounce this guy's names, but Quez Watkins, John Hightower, uh, any other guys that you're kind of excited for? Maybe they got some steals, like uh, Casey Tuhill. I know they they drafted in the seventh round, fellow San Diego product. Uh, who else excites you from this draft? Um, yeah, I think that I didn't know a whole lot about him and I I wasn't super up on prospects kind of past the like round two and three threshold. So when we drafted this Kayvon Wallace, this safety out of Clemson in the fourth round, I heard a lot of good things about him and he's just like a defensive captain for Clemson for several years, which is obviously impressive feat. And he hits really hard and he's really cocky on Twitter and says like, y'all got me for the cheap. I'm going to perform. I'm going to help you get that championship swagger back and all this stuff. I was like, I like it. The day he's been drafted, he's just already being cocky. It's like, that's cool. I don't know if he's actually any good, but I mean, safety is a position where we could use some depth and maybe he becomes a really good contributor. And maybe that does end up being a value pick. I like guys that just right out of the gate, just, they just, you know, talk, talk it like they believe that they can do it. You know, who knows what happens come training camp and you're going up against NFL competition and practice every day, what changes there. But the other guy that, yeah, you said Quez Watkins. We drafted him in the sixth round. He's a receiver from Southern Miss. He ran the uh, the second fastest forty time of receivers at the combine behind Henry Ruggs. He ran a four three six, I believe. And um, I watched his tape, and he's just all speed. He's like pretty skinny. He's just like kind of a downfield receiver, not like great after the catch. But I don't know. I think there's a lot to the strategy that the Chiefs have used in recent years, where they're just going to take the fastest player available in the later rounds. And I think the Chiefs did that once or twice in this draft too. And it's like, it ends up being valuable because you might not going to be hitting on all these guys. Like this receiver, Quez Watkins could be nobody, but just like in the late rounds, you're basically digging for a guy who may or may not start at any point in his career anyways. So why not take a gamble on a super premium trait in the NFL? And I think that the Eagles really went out of their way to get speed. And while it wasn't necessarily the premium names that a lot of the fans wanted, I think that there's no way that the fans could say they didn't, you know, try to give Carson Wentz more help that he didn't have last year. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree. Uh, before we talk about some other teams, I just want to ask both of you guys. I mean, I know we were, we were messaging back and forth about just this year's NFL draft. Before we talk about, like, the presentation of it all and the fact that, you know, it's all virtual, which, which was a thing in and of itself, I just want to talk about, like, kind of like the prelude to the draft and, and you know, coronavirus has kind of overshadowed it. Did you feel like there was kind of – I mean, we knew Joe Burrow was going to get the top pick. 
like we knew that was going to happen or, or you know chase young like it was either going to be one or two but i feel like there wasn't a lot of drama or storylines when it came to the first round really unless it was like tua like how far was tua going to be taken like do you feel like this year's draft in comparison to others was kind of different in like that like certain guys weren't as highly touted uh or, or highly scouted i guess wait highly touted or highly scouted highly touted you know what i'm saying like like oh you know it's it's crazy that this guy was taken so low or this guy was taken so high i felt like there wasn't a general hype around them yeah i felt like there wasn't a a general hype around like hardly anybody other than those three guys i think that um there was a lot more consensus picks in the first round than normal like there were less reaches like there was that raiders pick damon arnett and that seahawks pick like 27th they took that linebacker from texas tech Brooks, I believe his name is. and uh, But otherwise, I think like the lack of having players into your building for interviews, that sort of thing, resulted in more, uh, I guess, quote-unquote chalk. Not necessarily like in the slots that people had him going at, but as like in terms of the 32 first-round prospects that were taken, probably 27 or more of them is like what people thought belonged there. And I think that that is a product of the process this year for sure. And obviously you said there was the Tua drama, which ended up like not being that crazy because they, he just went to the team that everybody thought was going to get him from the jump. And then there was some, some smoke in the days ahead, but yeah, I don't know that that is kind of weird to think. Like people were saying it was like a really loaded draft, really loaded receiver draft, whatever. And then, like you said, like afterwards it kind of felt like, huh? Like, is, is it that crazy? Like, are that many teams like that thrilled with their pick? I don't know. Like it definitely, it it definitely did feel a little weird. Like once you got to the kind of maybe number like eight or nine range and after that, but, uh, no, I think that there's definitely some guys who are going to be really good from this draft, whether it's first round picks or third round picks or whatever. I think that, um, college football had a lot of talent last year. I think the main, there, there, well, sorry, no, you go, you go ahead. There was a lot of chalk this year, but, you know, the weirdness of the draft, you know, it was weird for a lot of reasons. It was fitting that it was weird with, you know, given everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, I honestly thought this was one of the best drafts in recent history for a lot of reasons, not necessarily because it was chalk and because, you know, it wasn't, you know, as eventful or exciting. I, we, we all knew Burrow and Chase Young were going to go one and two. Uh, you know, for months now, but I can't remember a draft that was so weird in the sense that there were so many good ones, like after the first 15, 17 picks, CD lamb went at 17 to Dallas, like such a steal. I I, I don't know. I think it's every draft every year is, is obviously completely predicated on the needs of the teams and there were a lot of offensive linemen taken in the first 10 or 15 picks of this year's draft and you know the the types of picks there's going to be talented players at every position every year just you know the order of who gets gets picked where is just going to be based off of you know the needs of every every single team but I mean I don't know. I think the sheer number of wide receivers, talented wide receivers in this draft made it more intriguing. But the weirdness, uh, I don't know. I mean, every draft is weird in its own way. Uh, This was so much weirder just because of, you know, like Keith mentioned, 
the, the format, the presentation, everything leading up to it. There was so much more hype around this draft. And I think the viewership numbers reflected that because it's literally all we have right now. But, uh, you know, regardless of the outcomes, I, I thought it was a really intriguing, interesting draft. And, you know, to keep the average sports fan engaged after even like pick 20 of the first round, that's saying something. And I think a lot of people were engaged for the entire first round this year. I think the main thing for me, you know, just talking about the hype, like the hype of the, I think what happened, this is my thing, is, well, firstly, when you look at these top picks in the draft, when I think of like stars, right, and I sound kind of like Colin Cowherd right here with, with this with this point, but like, you know, when you think of the stars, you think of Tua, you think of Chase Young, you think of Joe Burrow, and, and CeeDee Lamb as well, but I don't know about you guys, but I don't feel like many guys in the first round were necessarily like stars like a Jadavion Clowney like oh this guy is like a freak or whatever like they all were just super quality picks like it didn't feel like there was a lot of stars per se and maybe that was college football maybe it was the fact that and again in my second point that I think the draft itself the presentation and just the idea the spectacle of we haven't seen live sports or live anything in months now like I think that kind of maybe overshadowed the players themselves. I don't know what you guys think about that fact, but yeah, I think the, both those points are valid for sure. Kind of, definitely, players were overshadowed by everything that's going on right now. I think that's definitely true. But in terms of like not feeling like there's a lot of stars, I think one that's a product of college football and the way they market their players or lack of marketing to their players and just the big focus on the quarterback. But I think like for football heads, like every every pod, every article I read you know, listen to whatever before, before the draft, like there's a lot of players that people are excited about, especially in the first round. And I think like football heads are going to get like, there's a lot of guys who are going to be stars out of this. Like, you know, a player that I love is Derek Brown. He got picked by the Panthers and, you know, he plays defensive tackle, which isn't necessarily a flashy position. Like, obviously like off the top of your head, like, you know, like Aaron Donald's pretty exciting to watch, but then like how many other defensive tackles in the league can you count that you like love watching? Like for me, there's a few, but like, that's probably more than most people. And I think, like, Derek Brown could be a household name, you know, like, high PFF grade and all that. But it's just, like, I think that there's, uh, there's like, less running backs that go in the first round nowadays. I think that's another reason why there's, like, less quote-unquote stars. Um, I don't know. I think, like, there will be definitely guys within two years that we think, like, this guy's awesome. How come we weren't regarding him even higher during the draft process, whether it be, you know, Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb or whoever. Well there, well, there wasn't a running back picked in the first round this year. It wasn't until uh, the 32nd pick, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think, uh, if I'm mispronouncing that last name. but Yeah, you're right. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I miss, I miss that. But, I mean, back to Keith's point for just a second and we can move on. But, I mean, again, like Nick, Nick brings up a couple really great points. I mean, a lot of the players picked in the early – stages of this year's draft in which you know the viewership is the highest we're not flashy position players I mean it, it just beyond beyond you know the household names it, it just goes back to you know what teams needed this year and I mean there are some incredibly talented offensive linemen that are really I mean there, there are a lot of bad offensive lines in the NFL and I mean that was it was just that kind of first round but 
I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm repeating myself. myself. No, now, I, but I, I agree with that. NFL... I should touch on that a little further. Where you said about the offensive lineman, it's never a glamour pick to like pick a tackle in the first round, but it can often end up like being really useful to pick a good tackle in the first round. I mean, you look at like, yeah, I look at, I think it was like 2012. It was the the year the Eagles fired Andy Reid, and they went four and twelve, and then they drafted Lane Johnson. I think it was like fifth overall after that, and he's still their right tackle today, and he's one of the highest paid tackles in the league, and he's great. And it's just like if you hit on one of these tackles, they can be a super valuable piece to your franchise that you just don't have to worry about at any other point. Where and like finding a good tackle is hard to come by because I think like there is a bevy of good pass rushers in the league right now, but not necessarily a bevy of good tackles. Like there's maybe. Mm-hmm like 12 really good ones and then like five or six ones that are like that that tier below but it is tough to come by and I think like there will be swings and misses on some of these highly drafted offensive linemen but some of them could turn out being great too but it's just like you look back on it and in I don't know five years we'll say like oh how are these players from the 2020 draft and then you're just thinking about like you know, Tom Brady's retired by then. It's like, oh, Tristan <laughs> Wirfs is the right tackle for the Buccaneers. Like, nobody's paying that close of attention to his career, but he could be awesome, you know? Could be one of the best players on his team, one of the best players in the league, but people just won't know about it. Going to the uh, the draft overall and, and just talking about the presentation of it all and the fact that, like, nobody was in person to select the pick. Like, how did you feel like ESPN did with its overall presentation? Like, did you feel like you liked how there was a... Uh, people like in their homes and you got to see a lot more did you like the whole fans behind goodell <laughs> thing like even though the chargers had nobody like what were your guys' the, thoughts the the goodell interaction with the fans thing was such a just weak poor attempt to create fan engagement like i totally understand trying to still bring the fans into it because that's a huge part of the draft huge part of football in general and if we have football with no fans this fall that's going to be just beyond weird we haven't crossed that bridge yet I thought that was a weak attempt. I mean, I can see what they were doing there. But at that point, you're already having a Zoom NFL draft. Like, just accept the fact that it's going to be different at that point and just, you know, wear that and, you know, don't try too hard. Overall, though, I it was, like I said, one of the most exciting, enjoyable. Maybe it has to do with the, the buildup that went into, you know, the week before the NFL draft because we had nothing else to look forward to. But... Uh, I thought ESPN did a great job. I thought it was really engaging from, uh, you know, other things I've listened to and read and, you know, people I've talked to since then. It sounds like everyone was really, you know, engaged and satisfied with the way, you know, they had Trey Wingo in the studio. I mean, it was streamed on like ABC, ESPN, a lot of different platforms. But the way Wingo was in the studio and they brought in, I mean, so many different analysts from not only ESPN, but NFL Network and all these different outlets. I thought the way they sort of balanced all that with really like minimal technical difficulties and minimal flaws. I mean, it looked like most sports centers, you know, it looked like most shows where you're talking to someone remotely anyway. So I thought from like a production standpoint, they did a pretty good, pretty good job of making it feel as normal as it could have been. Uh, Roger Goodell's his own conversation, you know, given, (laughs) given, given the circumstances here, it's hard to make, you know, a zoom NFL draft look, uh, like, you know, not the weirdest thing going on or not the most, you know, immediately, you know, you know, thing that stands out like a sore thumb, but Roger Goodell managed to do that. I mean, he, he had, he had six months to figure out the pronunciation of Tua Tagovailoa's name and. Still, still, still managed to to butcher it. I mean, he's he's his own head case. But I thought uh, I thought it was a really you know 
Yeah, it was it was so fun to watch just because there was so much more hype and anticipation, at least from me and my friends about watching it. I mean, like t- constantly texting about picks like we do that on any given year with the draft. But it was just that much more hype around it. It, it was like the Super Bowl because that's what yeah. we had. Yeah, I, I love like you said, too. I love the draft every year. It's one of my favorite things to watch. But I feel like the content leading up to the draft this year and like you said, the obvious nature of like this is the one thing we have. Like, this is our Super Bowl for the next few months or however long. And so it just felt like this is the best thing possible. Like, I kept saying leading up to the draft, I was like, I cannot wait to just, like, open Twitter and not read anybody's stupid takes about the virus and just read football news. Like, it's going to be so great. And it was. And I I normally watch some of the later rounds anyways because I like to figure out, you know, how bad are the Eagles going to screw this up and how little value can they find and whatever. But, like, this year I was just, like, laying in bed in the morning, like, watching the fourth round, like, on Saturday. I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to go for a run today. Like, I'll get up, like, after, like, three picks from now. Like, I'll watch the Eagles pick. And then, like, they'd trade the pick and pick eight picks later. Eh, maybe I'll just stay for the pick. And just, like... <laughs> Then a trade would happen, and then, like, Luke Bryan would be on the screen performing a concert, and then, like, Goodell would have changed into a T-shirt and eaten 50 M&Ms during the commercial break, and I don't know, we had, like... He made, like, like, four four costume costume changes. changes. Yeah, and then we'd have, like, Texans fans acting like they still care about the team behind Roger Goodell as he announces their (laughs) fifth-round pick, and Bill O'Brien is uh, screaming at some Lions exec on the phone because their trade didn't go through. Oh, man, it was hilarious. I loved it, like... It was so much fun to watch, and I think ended up being such a great thing for even non like super football fans to just yeah. get their mind off of life and I don't know like have such a valuable like fun thing to do. And everybody was paying attention to it. I think that was great. It, it was a spectacle in, in and of itself. I mean, just to, to really a technological marvel. I can't even believe that ESPN was able to pull it off. All those different locations able to go to each different one. Uh, just want to shout out Bill Belichick's dog for uh, being so adorable. I, th- I like that a lot. But uh, the one thing I will say, and, and I think I messaged this to all of you guys, but just for the, the listeners out there, the the facts, the, so like the fact cards that they uh, they put on there with like, you know, because there's storylines with players where they've overcome adversity, like, you know, their mother or father died or, or something you know tragic has happened that they've used to motivate themselves there's been like different takes about it so i wanted to get your thoughts because there was that one player who was drafted who's like mother it said like mother overcame addiction when he was 16 or something like that um did you think that was like kind of too personal do you feel like there's a line there and if so what is that line um it was too much it definitely like when it was the first round and you got to like pick 25 and they'd already touched on like 10 different personal tragedies for the players or just like this guy has an amazing story like his you know mom died in a car crash or whatever happened not to be insensitive to those situations but like or this and that happened and I just like so often I was just like can you tell me about the player or just like this guy's brother played high school lacrosse or something just like what? Like, tell me about his profile. Like, what are his strengths? Or, like, what does he bring to this roster that he's going to? I don't know. It was strange. And I give uh, Trey Wingo a lot of credit because he was on TV for a lot of hours, and that's really hard. And obviously, like, producers are feeding him a lot of things to say and whatnot. But, like, 
even then I was just like, this is a lot. This is too much and they should be focusing on the football more. And obviously when it gets into the later rounds, that's really hard. But it was like all these tragedies and whatnot were a big focus like in the first round. I'm like, I was like, this is like the 15th pick of the draft. Can we talk about like how this guy's like an elite player? I don't know. Really weird to me. Connor, your thoughts? it was... No, it was a little much. I think it was T. Higgins. It, I want to say it was like picked like 32nd or 33rd or something uh, to the Bengals. But uh, I, I think ESPN did end up issuing an apology uh, today or yesterday about that. But it was just one of those things where, you know, because I'm not taking I, – I totally agree. I think ESPN overstepped in a lot – in, you know, some instances. But it's one of those things where we're so much so – hyper-focused on the draft this year because of the virus and because we have nothing else to to pay attention to. And it was like, in certain moments, it was like, ah, come on, did you have to really bring like more tragedy into this? But I mean, they do that every year with the draft. They, they, they have, you know, stories, whether they be positive ones or, you know, tragedies that, you know, athletes overcame. And I mean, being frank, like that's just sports. Like there are a lot of really talented professional athletes who come from, you know, backgrounds where they've had to overcome something, whatever it is. But I, I totally agree. I mean, it, it was overboard at times. And especially, especially when you get into the later rounds of the draft and Trey Wingo is butchering the last name of Simon Stepanak, who was the first Hoosier to get tossed off the board. It, it is just so apparent that like they're, they're digging so hard for fun, interesting things at that point. Not even fun, but just like things to keep people engaged. And it's like, can you try a little harder? So I, I totally understand where where you know where ESPN was at with all of that, but uh, no, it was it was pretty like blatantly obvious at times this year for sure. Yeah, and I think you know you got to give some credit to uh, you know obviously like you can make excuses on one point, and I don't mean to make excuses for their editorial judgment because like you know having like a couple storylines like that like is good because. I think a lot of it from what they were, you know, the perspective they were coming from was we're going to have a lot of sports fans watching this draft, but because of coronavirus, we're going to get a lot of new viewers watching this because it's the only exciting thing on right now. Uh, and so I think they kind of wanted to, you know, especially with the national anthem and, and thanking all those, uh, you know, the hero, the real heroes of this whole thing, which is those people on the front lines, the nurses, the doctors, all those people uh, keeping everybody safe and saving lives. That was a great touch. That was cool. I like to see that. Um, but like they were trying, as you guys said, like maybe a little bit too hard to get that human element in there, which, you know, I mean, I get it. It's, it's interesting, but like there comes a point where it's like, okay, we've heard this over and over. Let's like stick to sports here. Um, for sure. But yeah, I mean, do do you feel like overall, like if you had to grade the draft this year, like what would you give it like out of 10? Nine. I think it was great. I think it was like it was tons of fun. Like I think they executed it pretty well overall. And like you said, like I, me personally, I felt like teams still attacked the draft in a fairly similar manner to where they normally would. And it still felt like when a player was picked, like oh, this player fits well here, and this makes sense, or I love this player going here, or whatever. And I think that's what's most important. But even for the non-football heads where the draft is obviously a big thing for like real football heads who know the ins and outs of the game and like 
really care about roster talent and those sorts of things. But I think, like you said, for just like the casual sports fan who like watches a game or two on Sundays during the fall, like I think even for them, like it was uh, easy to watch, like it was accessible and they made it informative. And uh, I think the pre-draft, all the content that was out there online made that really good too. Is like a lot of people, like I think that tons and tons of people had opinions on like, uh, you know, Javon Kinlaw or whatever, like going to the 49ers, like a defensive tackle from a school that, you know, wasn't very good last year. And it's just like, I, th- I think that's a good thing is when people have those opinions and get involved with it. And really none of us know anything on how these players are going to turn out, but that's, that's always how it is. The draft is always kind of a weird thing, how they measure a player's hand size at the combine and they make <laughs> them take a wonderlick test and guys who end up making the hall of fame score like five out of 48 and weird stuff like that. It's a strange process. And they, they ask the driver that picks up the player from the airport to go to their draft interview, how the player treated them and if they were polite and they make a decision on if they're going to draft that player based off of that. It's always really weird. It was just put more into focus how weird the draft is this year. And overall, I think they overcame that weirdness in a good way. It, it, it was, was just, just as enjoyable as, as any other right? NFL draft. And the weirdness of the situation, you know, people are still able to communicate what they need to. Uh, you know, probably most impactful of all is just the fact that I think Tua had his first, his first like quote unquote workout was like literally just a video of him by himself throwing a football at like an elementary school field. Like the actual like ability to like have that personal connection with your potential draftees and you know interact with people and actually see people work out in person like that was the most impactful difference this year. But I don't think the virus or anything impacted the way teams went about the draft. The way you know I think I think picks still. Picks still would have happened the same way, regardless. A couple shout-outs here, Keith. Um, well, first of all, Terrell Burgess, who's a guy yep. who you and I covered in high school. Uh, d- defensive back, went from San Marcos to play DB at Utah. Uh, he gets drafted, coming back to SoCal by the LA Rams. Uh, I thought that was awesome for a variety of reasons. I mean, there are so many excellent high school prospects who we got to cover when we were in high school at La Costa Canyon, who we really, I mean, I, I kind of took their, their athleticism and talent and just the athleticism and talent of high school athletes in general. I did not, I don't think appreciate enough when I was in high school, Terrell Burgess was a beast at Utah. He led the secondary there. And I mean, I think he's going to do great things with the LA Rams, even though he was picked like what, 104th or something. I've got it pulled up here he was picked yeah 104th uh by the rams so i mean there there's so much raw talent regardless so and i mean that that's my favorite part of the draft like like seeing the guys picked in the late rounds like whether they be guys who went to you know your high school or who you know from your high school days or guys from your college in in like the the third fourth fifth rounds that's my favorite part of the draft just like seeing those guys who you know who you recognize like on the quote-unquote small stage and you know like now they're they're whether or not they're going to be you know a part of an nfl team in the fall like they're still getting drafted that's such a cool thing yeah no and to go off that point to piggyback off that i mean uh when i think about like normally i would obviously i agree with your point 
and and normally I would agree, but I even more so agree having been in Montana because although like no Montana kids got drafted this year, they're still signing like undrafted free agent contracts and going on and playing with teams. Like this guy from Montana Western, which you guys probably maybe have never heard of. It's an NAIA school in Montana. He now signed on with the Dolphins. I mean, and, and Bryce Sterk, he's also going to the Dolphins. Travis Johnson is going to the Bucks, uh, And uh, Nick Beach will be seeing potentially Dante Olsen, the Buck Buchanan winner, uh, Montana's, the University of Montana's pride and joy, going to the Eagles. Um, it, it's super cool to see, and everybody can relate to it. Even if, like, uh, you know, when you go to a small place, like, like it's, it's like the Olympics almost. When you have someone from some random town in Idaho, and it's like, oh, it's the pride of Ketchum, Idaho, is like this, you know, random person, right? Um, but, like, people, people remember that, like, for the rest of their lives. Like, oh, this is where, like, Brock Coyle is from. He's from Butte, Montana, and he, got, you know, he played 10 seasons with the Jets and the Bills or whatever. Like, no matter what happens in their careers, People are always going to remember the moment that the person from their hometown was drafted in the NFL. So I think that's special. A couple more things on the draft, and then we can move on because we've been talking about the draft for a while. But um, I definitely thought, first of all, the Colts. And second of all, I mean, a lot of teams had great drafts this year. I thought Indy had a great draft. I thought Denver had a great draft. And really, both those teams, more so Denver than Indianapolis, but really just able to accurately fill the voids and their highest areas of need with whoever was available. I mean, I'm not a GM, but so much of the draft in any sport is just about, you know, after the first five or 10 picks, it's just about adjusting and like thinking on the fly and doing your best, you know, judgment call, making your best judgment calls and decision-making with like what's available to you at the time. I thought, uh, Chris Ballard, who's the GM of the Colts, I just love like the way he approached the draft and the way they came out of it with guys who are going to be really productive uh, across the board. And then, you know, Denver just literally, quite literally just getting guys they needed, like Jerry Judy and, and so on. But uh, I thought both those teams did a really good job. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to get everyone who you want. And it's just about, you know, making the best call with who's available. And I mean, the fact that a guy like CD lamb was available to the Cowboys at the point he was, or Jerry Judy to the Broncos. It's just, it's just cool to see that sort of engagement later in the draft. I thought both those teams killed it though. I'm really excited to see uh, Keith's boy, Michael Pittman in Indianapolis next year. Uh, it's just a lot of excitement. Like you, you love seeing all these great college players who you watched on Saturday, you know, at the next level. I think a lot of these guys who we're talking about have legitimate shots at having really, really, really great NFL careers. Yeah. I, uh, I want to talk about Denver too. I, I think that they like had a really good draft. Like same here. I, I, I don't know like a ton about college football, but I know who a lot of the good players are. And just like, like you said, like thinking on the fly, cause you're only on the clock for so long and you have to adjust and you can prepare for the draft a ton and think we want to take this guy, this guy, and this guy in rounds one through three, but you really just have to be like, huh, the board came to us in this way, with, in this way, like this guy could be a great fit for us. Let's just take a chance on him. And Denver did a really good job of filling those needs. And I think like an issue with Denver in recent years, you know, since obviously they haven't found their answer at quarterback, obviously they're going to be relying on Drew Locke in this coming season. 
but um, you know, maybe Locke is the answer. But like they got him weapons, and they've just had a boring offense. Like since Peyton Manning's been there, like they've always had a reliable defense. But you can't say that like you think the offense is going to be boring. Boring when all of a sudden like they have Jerry Judy with Cortland Sutton, and you know maybe KJ Hamler is a major contributor too. And they signed Melvin Gordon, and they improved their offensive line. Like all of a sudden, Denver's an interesting team. Good. Like I think like I was just kind of before I went to sleep last night. I listened to like my last draft recap pod before I like kind of tuned out of draft content here i am talking about it again but um <laughs> but like i was thinking in my head i'm like okay who are the playoff teams going to be just off of what i know in april and obviously there's seven in each conference now and i think like i feel pretty strongly that like the broncos are a playoff team with where they are right now and i think no, that, I, that's an impressive thing to say after the draft i totally agree i think they stole away jerry judy and kj hamler who i got to see a little bit in the big 10 he ripped off like a 41 yard reception in against Indiana in Happy Valley. That was a game Indiana was in for like three and a half quarters of football. And that was just like the backbreaker there. He's a really talented receiver. I don't think enough people talked about him in the Big Ten. Denver just did such a superb job of, I don't know, they, they just made really solid picks with whoever was on the board. And for Indianapolis, not only do you have Pittman, uh, you have a Wisconsin running back in Jonathan Taylor, who I think is going to contribute immediately. Plus, you got good old Phil Rivers out there, too, who's, yeah, kind of washed up at this point. But I think, you know, it would be so on-brand San Diego Chargers in general for Phillip Rivers to leave the franchise and then go do really, really well with the Colts. I think think the Colts Colts are going to have a really good season, too. too. Yeah, I like the Colts, too, and I think that the Rivers could be really good. I think that maybe he's not the player he once was, but I think that washed up is maybe a little too far, and that's why he got another chance to play on a— potentially contending team for $25 million this year because uh, there's a coaching staff and a front office that still believes in him. And what, like you said, a front front, uh, uh, sorry, a smart front office, you know, led by Chris Ballard. And I think that Barry. Rivers could be a, a really nice player with, obviously he's got good weapons now in Indy and um, he's going to, they're going to run the ball a lot because they have good run blocking. And now they have Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor, which uh, fantasy owners already hate the carries controversy of. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait. wait. It'll, It'll be, be fun. fun. Looking towards, uh, I mean, we mentioned Philip Rivers. Looking towards all these, you know, free agent type uh, things that have happened this off season. Uh, before we go, I want to touch on this real quick. Before we go to to Gronk and Tom Brady in the Tampa, or shall I say, Tampa Bay, uh, whole situation that's going on right now because that's going to be nuts. Um, what do you guys think of the Packers, uh, especially with their draft, like choosing to go with the quarterback in the first round and not draft any help? to either uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers or, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the running back, and you UTEP fans are going to kill me. Aaron, yeah, exactly. What do you think about that? I mean, is that like a, a thing towards Aaron Rodgers, like you got competition or what? Um, I think the – no, I don't think that it's immediate competition for Rodgers. I think it's just like he's got three years left on this contract, and he'll probably play that contract out. I think at that point he'll be 38, and um, – then he'll you know end up in Denver or something like Peyton Manning did or I don't know Minnesota when the Cousins contract mm-hmm. is over or something weird like Favre I don't know but like Jordan Love I mean I think they just loved the player and they came up and got him it's a weird pick and a lot of people are saying it shouldn't have happened I look at it this way you win 13 games you make the NFC championship game and you get stomped by the 49ers wouldn't you want to improve your roster wouldn't you want to get a little bit better with your first round pick and obviously that's not what they did and then in the second round 
They drafted A.J. Dillon, the running back from Boston College, who weighs 250 pounds. So he's not like a contributor in the passing game. He's kind of just a downhill runner, you know, one-cut type of guy. And whereas Aaron Jones is already a really good player, it's like, do you really want to be giving his snaps to A.J. Dillon? I don't know. It's kind of strange. Like, I think they've spent a lot of years drafting defensive players to improve what was a bad defense for quite a few years. But, like... They're, they strike me as a team that could definitely regress this year. Thankfully, I think the Vikings are going to regress a little bit too. And then the Bears like have a weird quarterback thing going on and the Lions are the <laughs> Lions. But like um, the Packers, like they won 13 games last year, but they were 18th in total offense and 18th in total defense, which does not normally make for a 13-win NFC Championship game season. And I think that Rodgers deserves some weapons too. I mean, much has been made about this for years now. And uh, he finally found his running back with Aaron Jones. But I think that, yeah, they definitely could have used a receiver. And then they drafted like a H-back type tight end in the third round. I don't know. Very strange, very strange thing for sure. But I think that this whole deal that Rodgers is going to be pissed off and he's not going to treat Love well and he's going to be playing with a chip <laughs> on his shoulder. It's like he should always be playing with a chip on his shoulder. He's Aaron Rodgers. Like he, <laughs> he was the guy that sat in the draft room for too long. I don't know. But like, and that like, Favre didn't treat him well, so he's not going to treat Jordan Love well. It's like, yeah, it's lame that they didn't get Rodgers more help than they should have. But I think, right. like, if Rodgers was the great that we think he is, he would, you know, welcome Jordan Love to town and say, hey, we're going to make you into a great quarterback. I don't know. Yeah. Love's not going to be playing anytime soon. That's uh, that's just like a narrative people are spinning. The NFC North is going to be the most interesting, weird, wild division in football ever. But I think... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like the Jalen Hurts Philadelphia thing. Jordan Love's not going to be playing football until more than likely Aaron Rodgers is gone from Green Bay anyway. I don't think it matters at all. I really wish I put money down on the fact that Green Bay was going to take a quarterback uh, in, as with their first pick. Because from the limited amount of reading I did going into the draft, I, I seriously, I had a hunch. I was like, I... It just makes sense at this point. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, like you said, Nick, he has a few years left. I mean, you got to start looking at some point. Now, the fact that it was Jordan Love, that's more surprising than anything else to me. But, you know, with all respect to him, there there was just a lot of quarterbacks that a lot of people were talking about being picked in the first, like, you know, 10 picks of the first round. But, you know, I don't think it's it, – it, more than anything, it's interesting because Green Bay – still refuses to give Aaron Rodgers help. I think this was the first, uh, like, you know, something, some stat, like it was the first skill position, first round pick that Green Bay had taken in like over a decade or something like it was that. the first skill position player they had taken in the first round since Aaron Rodgers in 2005. Yep, yep, that, that was it. So, I mean, that's, that's remarkable more than anything else. Uh, you know, I, I think people are just making a bigger deal out of it because they have nothing else to make a big deal out of at this point. Like, I, I think I think it's going to be just fine. And I mean, you know, they've had a lot of backups. Who was it? It was Nick Hundley who was there. Is he yep. still there? Uh, yeah, U- UCLA. So, some oh, UCLA quarterback. Who knows about him? Nick Hundley. Go Padres. Um, but I don't know if he's still there or not. But they've had a lot of them uh, in the past, like, handful of years. I don't know. I mean, who who's like? Kaiser too. Yeah, exactly. Who are who are we to say at this point that Jordan Love is not going to be Green Bay's quarterback one day? I mean, this entire conversation we've been having about the draft—you don't know until you know. So, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a fine fine decision. 
by the Packers. Yeah, I think it bothers it bothers teams and it bothers fans when teams move up and they traded you know whatever asset it was to move from thirty to twenty six to take Love when. I mean, there wasn't going to be another team in those slots to take him, and then right, they right, chose right. to move up and get him rather than address another need on their roster. That bothers people, too. And then you look back in the long run, and I think there's a lot of times where you think, like, uh, oh, a team got a second-round pick for this player in a trade. What did that second-round pick amount to? One that I always look back on is, like, the when the Eagles traded Donovan McNabb to the Redskins, they got a second-round pick back, and I was always just like, this better be a good player, like, when we officially gave up on McNabb. Like, ended up being Nate Allen. He was a safety from South Florida, and he did pretty much nothing as an Eagle. And, like, it's just, like, people don't actually pay attention to that except for the couple days when it actually happens. It's, <laughs> it's strange to me. Like, maybe Love ends up being great, and it's, it's a different situation than Hurts with the Eagles, too, because Carson Wentz is 27 and Aaron Rodgers is turning 37 soon. But, um, and I think that Hurts is, was drafted for a different reason. But I think... If anything, Rodgers should just be respectful of the situation. It's like, this is what happened to me. They drafted me to be the future. Like, I've been with this franchise my whole career. I support the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to support Jordan Love, too. I don't think it's that going to be that big of a deal. But all in all, the Packers do not appear to be one of the winners of this draft. Yeah, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Uh, and to go on your point a little bit before we'll move on here, uh, I think, like, I mean, Rodgers, yeah, Rodgers is getting older, but also say with, like, Wentz, like, Wentz has been a lot more injury-prone than Rodgers lately. Oh, so, Rodgers has been injury-prone, too. I know, but I know, as bad, bad, I mean, like, season-ending type thing. thing. Yeah, definitely. Rodgers, in, uh, prior to 2018, I guess, he was injured, like, three straight seasons. No, I know, but lately, like, right now. Like, right now, right now. Yeah, I mean, no, he didn't get hurt in 2019, and that's a good thing. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt again. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that I, – I mean, I worry about Rodgers for injury a little bit too because I have, but I don't think that's, like, reason to necessarily Draft pick Jordan Love. I don't know. It's, it's a tough one to figure out. I, I'm just not really a fan of Jordan Love. Like, I think that I'm not really a fan of the player. Like, I was, I was happy. If I was a Packers fan, I'd be pissed because I don't really like Jordan Love. But when I, since I'm an Eagles fan and like I like Jalen Hurts, I think he's a good player. I'm like, this is great. Like I, I believe he's a good player. I want to draft good players. I think that's what I mean, most I matters can't to say, me. I can't say I watched a single Utah State game this year. Yeah, or last year, I watched them play yeah, LSU and lose by fifty. That, but that's about right. it. Yeah. Right. Uh, moving on to some of these other topics real quick. Uh, the Tampa, the Tampa Bay situation. Brady and Gronk. I mean, talk about like the greatest train robbery of all time. I mean, Gronk like retiring. And then sitting out a year, and then it's almost like he read, you know, like he, he transferred like schools or something. He had to sit out a year type thing. Like, yeah. how crazy is that? That and now it's it's Gronk, the the savior of my fantasy team last year, Chris Godwin, Mikey Evans. Uh, I mean, I think Cameron Brate's still on that team. I'm not sure, but uh, for, former SC star Ronald Jones. I mean, they got like everything on that team. Yeah. Before I tell you what I think they don't have yet, I just have to say I. Okay, I'm not a fan, but I am in love with these Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think that it's absolutely hilarious. Zane Moonhart's rubbing it off on you. Dude, how many times, how many times, how many times are, are we going to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Buccaneers in primetime prime this year? <laughs> just, just get into that. Yeah, I think that we're going to get like six Tampa Bay primetime games. And we're getting the schedule release here on May 9th, which is pretty soon. And I've already made a prediction that I think that opening night, that Thursday night where they have one game, is going to be Saints, 
Buccaneers at Raymond James Stadium with the pirate ship and the cannons firing in the background. Forty-year-old so Drew Brees against forty-three-year-old Tom Brady. <laughs> like that is endless storylines for the NFL right there, and it's going to be awesome. It's just like I, I cannot wait to be to watch like the casual NFL fan try to figure out. Wait a minute. The Buccaneers actually play at this stadium. Why is the sun so bright? What is happening in this weird city? Like, uh, it's so great to me. And just like Patriots fans are like really upset about it. I'm like, maybe like I I'd be a little upset if Tom Brady went to like the Jets or something like that. But like, it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, I don't know. Like, it's a little bit of a bummer that your player left. But I think like when a player wins you six Super Bowls, I think like you should be nothing but thankful. And just like if Brady wanted to go do this, like sure, like this. Pro- this project could go horribly. They could go six and ten next year, but like it could go great too. I think that Gronk's best football is definitely behind him. I mean, I think Tom Brady can still play, and like you said, they got a lot of good players on that offense. The one thing I think is missing, and I think that they didn't really address it in the draft either, is Tom Brady's always had that one like a uh, pass catching running back, like a James White or a Dion Lewis or Shane Vereen or whatever, and he needs somebody to dump the ball off to because he gets the ball out quick and he makes fast decisions and doesn't really have the arm strength anymore. But uh, they're kind of lacking that guy right now. And the Bucks passed the ball 50 times a game last year with Jameis. I don't think they're going to make Brady do that. But either way, like you said, this is going to be an exciting, you know, interesting offense to watch. It's going to have storylines every week. Nick's, Nick's, Nick. Nick's point that this could go in so many different directions is exactly why it's so intriguing. I mean, this is like a once in a 50 year, you know, unicorn situation where you have all of these guys just move out all of a sudden. And I mean... There's nothing more to it than the fact that the Pats Brady Gronk dynasty is over. Both of them wanted out of New England. They wanted a change. I mean, it's so weird to an NFL fan because it's so hard to picture these guys in anything but a Patriots uniform. But I mean, from like a quality of life standpoint, a career standpoint for them, they want to continue playing NFL football. And I mean, you can be as successful as ever with a single team that's still not going to change you know the your your desire to you know not only continue to be paid what you want to be paid but i mean this it just makes more sense for brady and gronk right now brady's getting all of the things in tampa bay that he didn't have necessarily all the time in new england i think it makes a lot of sense cowherd uh, point that we hear right there connor yeah, it is, and it makes a lot of sense. It's honestly the it's the most sensible thing Colin said in the past like year. Honestly, it makes so much sense because it just it, whether you know whether on its face it looks good or not for us, it's just Tom Brady's you know final ride. The really you know interesting part about it was that you know Gronk decided to join him, but this could go so many different directions, and that's gonna that's why it's so great for the NFL, uh, you know, on so many different levels. Yeah, to address- for sure. Sorry, Keith, let me get one more thing in here. I think yeah. if one player in the history of the NFL has earned the right to be like an NBA player and say, like, I want to prove that I'm my own guy and I can do it without, you know, Bill Belichick or without the New England Patriots or whatever, it's six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady. And if he wants to go play in Tampa Bay and have this new scenario to end his career and kind of prove you can still do it and play with some awesome weapons. I think if anybody's earned it, it's him. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's that's definitely true. Uh, to address the whole, like, you know, giving him what he wants, I mean, 
think about like, oh, what do what does Tom Brady need to be successful? Bam. First round pick, 13th overall, Tristan Wirfs, who was like one of the best uh, offensive tackle prospects. Um, that was literally it. Well, they got two running backs, Keyshawn Vaughn from Vandy in the third round, who is a pass catcher apparently, and then also uh, Raymond Calais, if I'm pronouncing that last name right, or Calas, I don't know, uh, from Louisiana, who is also apparently like a big multi-purpose back. Um, and then they also got a wide receiver, Tyler Johnson from Minnesota too. Um, it's, I don't know. I think, I think when you say this could go in a bunch of different directions, I actually don't see them even failing because there was a lot of people saying that Tampa, especially their defense at the end of the year, was like one of the best in the league. And their offense, I mean, they have all the weapons. I don't see any way that like well, this doesn't pan out. I mean, in what way would it not unless Brady gets injured? The reservations from people, I think, more than anything else, is just because, and Nick can play off this, because I'm sure Nick has more on it, but, like, I think people are just naturally going to be reserved and hesitant to jump fully on board in the first year of anything as crazy as this. And more than anything else, it's just such a weird situation to even think or see Tom Brady with a whole nother position group. But, like Nick said, at the end of the day, it's six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady, like, He's going to be able to adjust regardless, I think. Yeah. Well, I also think, too, I mean, when you think about, like, okay, like, why leave the Patriots? Like, and and you're right, like, when you think of the Patriots' offense, like, was there as many weapons? I mean, think about, like, they were bringing in, like, Antonio Brown. They they bring in, like, such random guys. Brown could play. That wasn't the issue with Antonio Brown, but I get your point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Like, what I'm saying saying is, like, they'll they'll always bring in these, like, random guys for wide receivers and never really spend any top picks drafting position players usually because they won so much that they have like a 28th or 29th overall pick but i mean they just like they, they traded never a second anybody... rounder they traded a second rounder for muhammad sanu last year and obviously what was the use of that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's just like it's super random but they they find a way to win because belichick i mean let's face it along with brady they were a tandem that was going to win automatically 10 games a year i mean that's what they did almost their entire dynasty together um, was win like ten plus games. So like clearly Belichick and the coaching staff has it going on. They know how to how to play the game. But I don't know. We will see. The question I have though, biggest questions in this offseason still, one, where's Cam Newton gonna play? Is is he is he talking to teams right now? Like do you think he'll play a snap next season or is his career done? Okay, first thing I need to go back to Brady just before we get to Cam. Then you go back to the Buccaneers. I think the biggest reservation people had and why you think you said, like, they can't fail, I think is, like, teams in the past that have, like, flawless rosters have failed countless times. Or, like, flawless rosters. Like, the Browns roster looked awesome last year. Like, they were not very good. Like, the the Eagles dream team when they signed Namdi Asamoah and everybody, they weren't very good. Like, it just happens. And I think another thing is just they're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, Keith, do you know off the top of your head who the head coach was the – Last time the Buccaneers made the playoffs? Um, <laughs> that's, well, I know their coach right now is right, Bruce Arians, right? That's right. Last time. Um, it was 2008. Is that right? Did you look it up? No, no, no. Because I think the correct answer is John Gruden, if that puts anything into perspective. That John Gruden was right. John Gruden was on Monday night for 10 years, and now he's the Raiders coach, and that was the last time the Bucks made the playoffs. And it's just like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they just don't make the playoffs. It doesn't happen, which I think makes this all the more intriguing. But now to Cam Newton. Sorry to 
kind of cut in there. Where is Cam Newton going to play football in 2020? Man, that is an awesome question. Hmm, I don't know. Connor, do you have a take? Keith, do you have a take? I really don't know. At this point, I thought something would have happened by now. Yeah, I feel like right now it's a little bit too late for, for anything to happen unless, like, I'd say, like, the only thing something, because there was the same thing, like, with Carmelo Anthony, in my opinion. Like, they're two really talented players, um, injuries be as they may, but, like, people are always wondering, like, oh, well, why didn't Carmelo, like, play in t- whatever the year was like it was like 20 like he took that one year hiatus right where he didn't play and then he came back for a little bit if i'm not, I'm mistaken. not mistaken was it like, a year was it a whole year i guess it was i think it was, I think it was. And, no no, no. Was, he started the year with houston the rockets then he got cut pretty early in the season and he didn't play right, the rest right. of the year right right, right, right yeah, yeah exactly so like, so like i think about that i'm like okay well why wasn't he signed i mean carmelo anthony's like so much better than anybody on anybody's bench right now like and I think a big reason for that is money. Like, I think Cam Newton probably wants to be paid superstar money, and no team is willing to pay that, so he's going to stay, like, you know, unsigned right now. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It, the main thing I think of is, like, it would have to be a team where there would be, like, a quarterback uncertainty. And that's why people say the Bears, like, would be the place to go. Because, like, Mitch Trubisky clearly hasn't gotten it done for Chicago, I mean, he's, he's just not good, straight up. Um, I'm going to stop you before you go further on the point with the Bears. Um, what? You know they already gave up an asset to acquire Nick Foles, right? Well, Nick Foles isn't going to do anything either, man. Do you think that they believe that when they gave up a third-round pick for him? Yeah, I guess so, but, I mean. I was surprised the Chargers didn't bite. I mean, obviously they drafted Herbert, so that, uh, you know, canceled that plan pretty quickly, but... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think Cam Newton's going to be a lot better than Herbert in the immediate future. <laughs> I think that he's not going to the Chargers, obviously, now with the Herbert situation. But, <laughs> excuse me, I think that you said the Bears, like, the Bears, we know Trubisky's not going to get it done, but they brought in Foles to, like, push him to get it done. And now they're paying the Foles contract, and they gave up an asset to give him to get him. They're not going to give up more assets, as in money, to get Cam Newton like, and have a third quarterback. And I think this wouldn't necessarily be a problem in Chicago, but, like, they've already exacerbated their, you know, possibility of doing that with by getting Nick Foles. The issue is signing Cam Newton, and I don't think this is, like, a great way of thinking by GMs. I think it's actually a poor way of thinking. Is like, if you bring Cam Newton into a situation where there's a young quarterback, like, take, you know, Denver with Drew Locke or whatever, or, like, I don't know, if, like, the Jet, the yeah, Jacksonville, or, like, if the Jets wanted to bring him in to back up Sam Darnold or something, like, the issue with Cam Newton is, like, it immediately exerts that you don't have as much belief in your current starting quarterback, which, like, sometimes that's a good thing to push them a little bit. But um, if a player has two bad games, the entire fan base is going to be clamoring for Cam Newton. And I think a lot of GMs and coaches don't want that. Like, they don't want Cam Newton going to back up the Bills when Josh Allen has three bad games and then everybody and their mom in the Bills Mafia wants Cam Newton to play the rest of the season. Like, it's it's a little too much of a distraction given his history. But I think a healthy Cam Newton can still play because I saw it in 2018 before he got hurt. But, um, yeah, I really don't see a team that makes sense. I think the Bears would have made a lot of sense. I think the Patriots still make a lot of sense, but Belichick's ego is too big to sign him. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think Jacksonville wants to win this season, so I don't think they want to sign him. Uh I don't know. What about the Redskins? Why can't the Redskins sign Cam Newton to back up Dwayne Haskins? And if Dwayne Haskins has four bad games, 
they play Cam Newton. I, I don't know. I, I don't think that it's about money anymore. I think that it's past that point. Like I think that um, if Cam Newton wanted to be a starting quarterback, he would have signed a contract by now. And I think that that has run its course. Obviously, we saw like Jameis signed with the Saints today. I mean, Jameis isn't going to be a starter. I think that was maybe a little less likely. But I mean, Jameis had 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns last year. And I don't know. I just think that Cam Newton is in such a weird situation where he's had so much success in the league, but his injuries are too much to overcome that there's no obvious fit for him. And there are so many teams and there were so many teams even heading into the draft that whether or not it was a good one perceived by fans, every team believed they had a good quarterback situation. Like what teams heading into the draft were like seriously uncomfortable with their quarterback situation besides the the um, Bengals, Chargers, and Dolphins. And even the Bengals, like, say they didn't draft Joe Burrow, like, they could have went with Andy Dalton for another year. I'm, I'm being a little redundant at this point, but you guys get what I'm saying. Oh, I, yeah. absolutely. Wait, you guys saw Jameis went to New Orleans, right? Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that, was, that, was, that was a shock. The, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it... Because, well, okay, the, the Teddy Bridgewater thing, in my opinion, made a lot of sense because it was like, okay, Teddy Bridgewater, he's been injured, hasn't, like, necessarily had, like, an amazing track record. Jameis Winston is a starter in the NFL. Obviously, he's kind of trash and like through thirty picks, but like he has he has his moments where he's like the gunslinger of of the olden days in the NFL. I don't think he's a backup quarterback at all. There's, I think he he's better than like some starting quarterbacks right now, especially anything that Jacksonville has. I mean, who does Jacksonville have? Gardner, Gardner Minshew, other than him, who do they have? Your boy Josh Dobbs, who you said was going to get picked in the first round, hardly. <laughs> Hey, hey, JB, my guy, JB. Yeah, like, I I think Jacksonville believes in Minshew to an extent, and the fans like him, so they're going to play him this year, but they'll probably just end up drafting another guy next year or whatever. But, um, no, I think that the Jameis situation is weird to people because they have Taysom Hill, and people have seen Taysom Hill play a little bit now and see how electric he is to watch, that it's like, why did they keep signing Teddy Bridgewater, and why dare they signing Jameis when they already have a reliable backup in Taysom Hill? I just think... The Saints are another team like the Eagles and uh, like the Patriots until now who like valued like having multiple good quarterbacks on their roster, whether it was like the Patriots with Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett or like uh, the Colts right now with Phillip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett or whatever. I think like it's important to just have multiple good quarterbacks. And I think the Saints see Jameis as a player, like you said, who if Drew Brees goes down, he can come in and win you football games. And that's super important in this league. But the issue with Jameis is where was there a team who said that Jameis is immediately worth the risk that makes him so much better than what we currently have? Like, who are those teams? Like I said, like, maybe Jacksonville, like, maybe Washington. Like, otherwise, they don't, the teams don't really exist. I I don't know. Speaking of uh, quarterbacks going random places, Marcus Mariota going to the Las Vegas Raiders this week, which another guy who, in my opinion, was probably like, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, the most talented wide receiver, maybe in NFL history, Nelson Aguilar, also going to Las Vegas. Couldn't even get out with a straight face. (laughs) I was muted, and I immediately unmuted myself. (laughs) I'm joking, but uh, how weird is it, just to talk about like Las Vegas having a, a football team, like they're playing this year, actually could potentially play in the Sun Bowl here in uh, here in El Paso, like how weird is that going to be? The Raiders not in Oakland anymore. Connor, you can take this one. That new stadium looks so dope. Oh yeah. Uh, like I, 
I have I will have stadium envy as a San Diegan for the rest of my life just because of the fact that San Diego was never you know going to get it done. But what what is this about them playing in El Paso? Yeah, I, I because I hear anything about that. Yeah, yeah because, because uh, apparently, uh, apparently like, like stadium, stadium construction, construction or, or something, something something with that or either like COVID. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah that like, like it, it won't be ready, ready but, but I don't know. We'll I see. think I think the Raiders are. I mean, obviously. The Bay Area and Oakland is going to be, you know, just as distraught and pissed off as San Diego was when the Chargers left. And, you know, I, I relate to Oakland so much so because those fans are so freaking loyal. I mean, if you want to criticize San Diego's fan loyalty, sure, go for it. There's a lot of better things to do in San Diego <laughs> than, you know, pay, you know, intense attention to sports all the time. And we all know that. And San visit SDCCU Stadium. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, We all know that San Diego's fan bases have never been great, and they probably never will be until, you know, the Padres are really successful. But, um, you know, it's probably even that much more painful for Oakland because those fans were so loyal to that team. And I definitely think the Raiders are going to fit in in Las Vegas too for, you know – the reasons you know you know, for why Las Vegas is Las Vegas but the the relocation thing that we've seen in the past five years with now three different franchises is just uh, it's painful to watch but uh you know they'll adjust and you know Gruden is trying to transform that that franchise as well um but uh yeah that new stadium looks pretty sweet yeah I think that the Raiders, like Connor said, it sucks for Oakland. It sucks for Oakland fans. And I read a really good story at the end of the season about how much the Raiders meant to Oakland. And But the, the, the difference between the Raiders and Chargers is the Raiders are always going to be one of the NFL's marquee franchises. They're always going to have a top 10 fan base no matter where they go. It'd be like if the Steelers moved or like if the Patriots moved or um, you know something like that, which those teams would never move. But they're going to have fans no matter what. We always are going to know... Black and silver is synonymous with the Raiders who, you know, for better or for worse, have been a team that's had stories in the NFL pretty much every year. And I think that that's a good thing. And Las Vegas will be a good thing for the NFL. And it really is a bummer for Oakland. But uh, this stuff kind of just happens sometimes. And I am interested to see the future of that team. And I think that they're going to be one that is super important to the league for a long time still. Dude, I was I was so bummed that we couldn't watch the draft in Vegas this year. They were, oh, yeah. they were gonna, they were gonna bring the, the draft picks like out to this like moat, like island, oh yeah, yeah that's like, right, little boats. Like it was gonna be the most extra Las Vegas stuff ever, uh, and we didn't get to see it. But apparently, they're awarding a draft uh, to Vegas in a couple years, which Goodell managed to screw up and say. I was gonna say that. Yeah, he messed that up on the air. Draft, and it's actually the twenty twenty two draft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we didn't know. Draft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly football in vegas, vegas it'll be a weird thing I'll, I'll say this about vegas like i think that you know before the golden knights came and before like the aces the las vegas aces the WNBA team came like yeah they had minor league baseball there and i think they even had if i'm not mistaken maybe a soccer team that that, that city really wasn't like a sports city per se but now, like, you know, with the Golden Knights having gone to the Stanley Cup final and the Aces being super successful in the WNBA, and now the Raiders, like, this could actually be a pretty, like, you know, big destination for, you know, professional sports. sports. Um, wow. Because, yeah. 
you, you also have like the Raider fans. Like that's only not only, but it's like a four-hour drive from LA. You could have some some Raider fans, you know, drive to Vegas for a game. Maybe it's a Sunday game. I thought you were going to say it was a four-hour drive from Oakland. I'm like, no, it's not. It's further than that. <laughs> no, but, no, definitely not. But, um, yeah, definitely people from L.A. will go to games for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. But uh, final, final couple questions, and we'll wrap it up here. I know you guys are very busy. But when – here's the question. One, when, is, when will we see the first professional sports uh, event come back live? And two, like – do you think the MLB season is going to happen? Or if so, when? Or if so, how is that going to look? Uh, Connor, I'll start with you. Uh, to your first question, it's going to be golf. That's back first, I think. Keith, uh, first, you being American sports event? Yeah, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, let's keep it Okay, okay. I know, I know the PGA has scheduled things for June. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously golf being golf, I guess it's easier to, like, adhere to you know, social distancing or, or whatever it might be. Uh, I think we'll see some live golf in some form this summer. As for baseball, it's nice to see them give us some hope. It's nice to see that there's a proposal in the works, multiple proposals in the works, and it's nice to see that, you know, there is active conversation between the management of teams and major league baseball and, you know, all the forces at play. And, you know, I, I just think it's a logistical nightmare, first of all. And it's so hard as it is to get a couple, you know, uh, ownership groups of a couple teams to agree on something, you know, how are you going to do that for 30 teams? Um, you know, to, you know, agree to play isolated baseball in Arizona with no fans where, you know, do the families come or not? Is Mike Trout going to miss the birth of his first child? Like, there are so many, like, logistical things at play. I don't feel super confident in that happening. Whether, you know, I whether or not we have a baseball season at all, I, I still... I don't want to give up hope that we're not going to have baseball at all. I think we see baseball at some point in 2020. But uh, I don't know. The Arizona thing, it's a great idea in theory, but there's so many moving parts, and I don't know if you can get that many people to agree on one solution. I think that um, all that stuff that Connor said is true for sure. Golf will be the first American sporting event we see because they have events scheduled, and whether or not – they maybe do one or two events and then they pull back and push them back again because they're going to get some blowback from who you know the public, the media, whatever. But maybe that won't happen. Maybe it'll everything will be good by then. But like, I think that we will see a shortened baseball season in 2020. I think that basketball will come back because I think that Adam Silver really wants basketball to come back once uh, – you know, some more things are relaxed and there are less regulations in regards to all this. And and you really only have the playoffs for the NBA at least. Yeah, and that's they can just start the playoffs right away. They can push back the NBA draft. They can push back next season. I think that Adam Silver really cares about the fans, which is different from Rob Manfred, which we've kind of talked about in the past. But um, he really wants the fans to be able to see the games if it's without fans and, you know, starting in um, July or something like that. But I think uh, I think we are going to be getting some good news soon. Like you know, I'm not a health official. What do I know? It looks like we're going in the right direction. But then 
local governments haven't exactly made decisions to change things yet. And I don't want to be insensitive to any part of the virus. I know it's it's very serious and many people have dealt with it in far more serious ways than I have. I mean, just look at like in sports, like Carl Anthony Towns' mother passed away because of the virus. Like that's that's totally crazy. And like this is a real thing that people are dealing with in their lives. But I think that it has come a time where we've been dealing with it for so long that it's okay for us us as normal people to be pissed off that we can't watch sports, to be pissed off that we can't go out to eat with our friends, and to be hoping that that happens again soon. I don't think that makes us insensitive or taboo to say those things or whatever. And I think that sports are something that a lot of people really do long for. And while they may or may not be quote unquote essential, like to a lot of people, like it seems essential in our lives. Like not having them has seemed like totally crazy to me. Like German soccer might be coming back like in the first or second week of May. And I was like, I mean, I was like, I haven't really been super up on soccer this year and I have to wake up early to watch it, but I would love to watch some Bundesliga soccer right now. Like and wake up early if I get to watch that. And like, I would love to watch some golf and like, I enjoy golf, but it's not like my favorite sport. I don't go out of my way to watch golf every weekend, but it's just like, it's something that's super important to us. And obviously like we're talking about it right now. And like you said, I do think we'll have a football season in the fall. We may or may not have fans, but there will come a point where we all feel like, the new normal like is pretty good. Like just being able to watch games on TV again. And even if it means like an 80 game baseball or 81 game baseball season and a shortened NBA playoffs, those sorts of things, like sports will be back. And I think like Connor said, American sports are going to be back starting in June with the PGA tour. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I think like you're starting to see, unfortunately, in my opinion, at least again, I'm not a health official. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor or anything like that. But I mean, you saw like, You've seen the photos on Twitter of Huntington Beach, California. Orange County beaches are reopened to the public, and people are just coming in droves, which, again, is not really social distancing or whatever. And, you know, certain places— And the weather's really good right now in Southern California. Well, it's super hot, which is is, a problem. People need to be, like, you know, can't die of heat stroke out here. But uh, And, you know, we're going to have mid-90s in uh, in the Sun City ourselves, but— it's too, like Connor said, too variable in different places. Like, like, like you have Florida that just reopened like a bunch of stuff. You have Georgia that's opening, you know, bowling alleys. But then you have states like, you know, New York or, or California where like none of that's going to be open for a little bit now. And like state parks were just opened in uh, in Texas the other week, but like El Paso still having them closed. So until everybody gets on the same page, I don't think that'll happen. Like you said, until June. But, like, when is the all-star break for MLB? Is that, like, what day is that usually? That's, like, mid-June, right? Like, June 17th or something? Mid-July. Like, between July 10th and July oh, yeah. 15th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So, like, a post-all-star break MLB, I don't I don't think that's necessarily out of the question. Like, I think maybe the, the fanless thing will have to happen. Um, but I don't see that being, like, a major deal, especially if, like, we're opening things to regular people, you know? Like, if, if regular people can go to like state parks or like go to the bowling alley and meet up with regular people like who's to say that athletes can't play with athletes especially when they have all the medical technologies they have for all the sports yeah anybody who said that they can't imagine games without fans um i think that that's like that is like a crazy amount of privilege to say that like at this point that you really think that (laughs) <laughs> it's better to do nothing than like have something that yeah. a bunch of fans would love. Like I've seen plenty of college athletic directors are saying like we can't have home college football games without fans. And I know like pageantry is such a huge part of college football and that's a really big deal. But it's just like 
I mean, don't you think these fans and the fan bases want to watch their teams on TV? Like, and don't you think anything is going to be like a giant ratings boost? Like, obviously it was with the NFL draft. But, and like you said, like, what's going to be the next event? I was wondering after the draft, I'm like, wow, this was NFL free agency and then the NFL draft were two huge things to look forward to during the virus. And now what's the next thing? Like, I was thinking about that today. I'm like, hmm. What's the next thing I like look forward to in my life? Like, yeah, that's a little bleak and I don't need to think that way. Like, seriously, like when are we going to be like excited about something again? Like there's a UFC fight with no fans here soon. Like maybe I'll drop a big boy stack on that and call it a day. I don't know. Drop a fat stack on that one. what's good? I don't know. Huh? Huh? Bovada, you know, it's like the, the betting website. Never mind. Uh, yeah, we'll see, man. We'll see. I mean, it's 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 gonna be weird. That's all I'm gonna say. But like, I think we're there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, all right, just wrap everything up. Anything? Any last things you guys want to say? Anything you've noticed lately? Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, I um, I'd like to make a point that Keith on day twelve of a 30-day song challenge that the one that you're seeing on everybody's Instagram story, he told me that uh, he and Connor have been doing this song challenge and putting their songs into a playlist. And he invited me in on uh, day 12, and now it's day like 15 or something. And uh, it's been very fun these last few days. I haven't put my song up for today. What was was today's uh, template? Let's let's look it up right now. Uh, I think I put mine on earlier, if I'm not mistaken. I remember yesterday's was like... Uh, the the cover one, which I actually yeah, like. Yeah, a song that's a cover from another artist. I, yeah. I don't listen to a lot of covers, so that was like kind of hard. It's Keith's fault for adding you like halfway through the challenge, so you you should feel like you could you can go back and add the rest of the songs. Your 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 song choices are welcome on our playlist too. Uh, yeah, I, I know that, and I I have always enjoyed both of your guys's music taste and I always think it's funny, and like I need to like be better about this. That Connor, as long as I've known you, like. You've been, like, so easy to communicate with and, like, very squared away in your life. And Keith is, like, not that way at all. Or he's not, like, difficult to communicate with. Like, he'll respond to me if I text him and stuff. But he's just, like, always has, like, a weird broken phone or, like, won't respond for three days and then text me six times in a row or something like that. And oh, yeah. Few and far between, but Keith, Keith, you've had some weird episodes. Or, or like, broken phones, so you'll message us on Twitter or some something like that. And then just, like... But, like, all of our communication for us three just, like, goes through Keith. And I'm just, like, part of that was this song challenge thing. And whereas uh, I could just be hitting you up all the time and life would be so much easier. <laughs> that's, uh, that's so true. That's so fair. Uh, every time I, you know, every time I'm talking to Keith and I, like, I'm, I have to go back or I'm trying to reference an earlier text that I sent or, like, a picture I sent or something. I'm like, okay, let me check text messages first. All right, let me go check the Twitter DMs. Oh, wait, it's probably in the Instagram DM. That, that makes more sense. <laughs> he and I have, like, three to four different platforms that we have to communicate on because his Google Pixel 2 like, three texts at a time, doesn't receive photos, and then texts me, like, six blank messages. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh really? Like, <laughs> and it breaks up, it breaks up uh, like, not even significantly long texts. It breaks up some texts that are like, you know, a sentence or two into like six different texts. And it says like, you know, one out of six, two out of six. Yeah, exactly. I get it. Oh, we lost lost Connor. Oh, did he lag out? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm the bad bad one one here. Connor's the one lagging. That's pretty funny. I still hear you. (laughs) 
No, I got. Oh yeah. I mean, the main thing is just like once I actually get an iPhone, I think all my problems will be solved. But still have the uh, the Moto G7. Assumingly, have been saying that since like high school. Yeah, I know, but usually, usually I only say that because it's like, oh, like once I actually get like a well-paying job, which like now is like better paying. But I mean, I'll have an iPhone for work, but. But you don't discuss like, your finances publicly. Huh? You don't discuss your finances publicly. Well, this is I, true. This is, I sure don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, should I, we wrap uh, it up since Connor's, Connor's gone? gone? Yeah, yeah, might as well. Okay, okay. Beach. Uh, any, anything else you want to say? Final words. No, that's it. I really appreciate being on the call with both of you guys. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. Well, that was Nick Beach, folks. Connor has uh, gone AWOL, but you've been listening to the the return of the back of the presser podcast. That was Nick Beach. I'm Keith DeMolder signing off. Stay safe. Stay inside. Wear a mask. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye.